And now for my standard introduction, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. I've been questioned about my lack of interesting introductions. I think the Bible is very interesting. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. While you're doing that, let me give a quick public service announcement. You know, I mentioned at the beginning of this series that part of the reason why we're going through First and Second Peter is because I feel like their circumstances were similar to ours. This is the early 60s, and the, the Christians and the Roman culture are realizing how different they are from each other, and they're coming into conflict with one another. And I said that even though that was true, even though this is the beginning of the first of many persecutions that Christians will endure from their, their government, the Roman Empire, uh, the church continues to grow. It continues to grow dramatically during this time. And, and I, two reasons for that. One is the Christians had better lives. And two, the Christians had better answers. They had better stories. Uh, they, 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 were, they were better at explaining how people should live and what that should look like and why the world works the way it does. And so we've been going through First Peter talking a lot about having better lives. But also we're doing some other things to, to answer this other idea. Well, what does it mean to have better answers? What does it mean to have better stories? So we just finished last week an eight weeks apologetic series. How do we answer the questions that our culture has? How do we talk about Jesus in a culture that's increasingly hostile to that? We're going in a couple weeks, we're going to step out of Second Peter, and one of our elders, Bob Hart, is going to do a topical sermon on the issue of sexuality. Because that is probably the number one hot issue. That's what came out of the apologetics uh, class. He gave us a whole bunch of hot issues, things going on in the culture. He asked them to rank them as, okay, what's the most important? What do we need to know about? What do we have to have answers for? Sexuality was by far the number one. So a couple weeks from now, we're going to do a a sermon on what the scriptures say about sexuality and why does it matter? Like, what do we do about that? Why should we care about this as Christians? And I tell you that, obviously you don't need to do anything, you just need to show up for church like normal. But I tell you that for your kids. Because we are enthusiastic supporters of having kids in the service with us. And so I always preach G or PG, you know, that's the the most we're going to stray into, is PG. Obviously, the question of sexuality is an adult topic. And so it's going to start at PG-13 and go up from there. So parents, just be forewarned, you need to make decisions about your kids. We're not going to tell you what to do, that's entirely up to you. But two weeks from today, we're going to have a, a topical sermon on sexuality and what the scriptures say about that, why it matters, what we, need, what we do about that in the church, and that is going to be adult, much more adult in nature. So parents, you, you need to know what you're going to do with your kids that week if normally they'd be with you in the series. So, okay, 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to finish up the household code, and we're going to transition and go back in to what Peter has sort of dropped into periodically, which is this issue of suffering. What do you do as a Christian in a culture where you are suffering? And you've probably heard me say this before, that in our world, we make arguments very directly. We're just like arrows, you know, presume. We just A and B and C and we come to a conclusion. They don't do that in this world. They still go somewhere, but they kind of tend to go like this. They kind of drop back into things. And so Peter's talked about suffering. He's talked about other things. He's talked about suffering. He's talked about other things. He's going to transition now out of this household code. How should we live in these various relationships we have with each other? And back into the issue of suffering. And in fact, in my Bible, which has uh, headers, we're in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. The header over that is suffering for doing good. So read along with me. 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 8 through 12. Finally, all of you. Be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate 
and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So I told you last week I had humorously titled the section where I'm going to talk about marriage, men and women, uh, Mowage. Um, I have humorously, quote unquote, entitled this sermon, and this is what will go out on, the, on YouTube at all, don't listen to this sermon. Because everything Peter said up until now has been the easy parts. This is when it starts to really get hard. The things he tells us to do here, the the more I have spent in this week, the more I had wished I had scheduled Bob to preach this week. (laughs) Like, wow, let's talk about some of these things. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God and these are all commands. All of them, they're all commands. They're not suggestions. This is not a commencement speech where I give you a bunch of good ideas on how you can live better and you decide whether you want to do it or not. These are commands from our God. The first thing Peter says is be like-minded. And one of the funny things is the word mind doesn't appear anywhere in that word. I've told you before that the language of the Bible, it loves to take little words and mash them together. Every single one of these words is two words put together to explain something. And this first word is the word same and the word frain. Okay, now how many of you have heard me talk about frain before? Thank you, right? One of my favorites, okay? Your frain is right here. It's literally your thoracic cavity. It's your, where your heart and your lungs are. But this culture does the same thing our culture does. They use body parts to indicate inner realities. So in our world, your head is your intellect. It's your mind. It's your brain. And we can use it interchangeably. Like I could say, oh, that guy, he lives in his, in his head. Or I could say, oh, he lives in his mind. You understand when I say somebody lives in their head, I'm not, not talking about their skull. I'm talking about their intellect. Or we use heart to mean your emotion. When someone says to you, oh, Oh, my heart is breaking, right? We don't mean the muscle inside your head is beating and you're having a heart attack and we need to call 911. We all understand that means your emotions. Your head is your intellect. Your heart is your emotion in our world. And they're in conflict. And that's how we talk about them. We talk about your head versus your heart. How do you make decisions? Which one do you listen to? We'll, we'll counsel people. You, you need to go with your heart. You need to follow your heart or we'll tell them, hey, your head, you got to listen. You got to listen to your head, buddy. Stop thinking with other parts. Listen to your head, your head and your heart. They're in conflict in this world. And I mean the ancient world. This is old and New Testament. This is just universal across the ancient world. That is not how they think about themselves. They do not think of themselves as having an intellect and emotions. And those two fight each other for them. Your head is your intellect. But your emotions are in your guts. Your emotions literally are your intestines. So when Jesus sees the crowd, it says, we translate it, he has compassion on them. Or I've heard some translations say, like, his heart went out to them. What it says in Greek is he had a stomach ache. 
his intestines, it's a verb, he intestined the crowd. Because this is where you feel things in their world. You think with your head and you feel with your gut and your frame right here in the center. That's what mediates those two. Your frame is you. These people in this world, they'll go into battle without a helmet. They will never go into battle without a breastplate. Because to get injured here, that's you. That's the center of your being. That's where you make decisions. Okay, now I'm going to step out of the sermon for a minute. Free gift with sermon. Okay, this is a much better way to think about your life than the way we think about it. A much better way to think about your life. Because we think, oh, I have thoughts and I have emotions and they're in conflict. And I have to decide between one of them. One of them has to live. In this world, neither of them decides anything. They're your servants. Your intellect and your emotions are your advisors. But you is your frame. You decide. Your brain doesn't say, well, I think this and so it's true and we're going to do it. And your emotions don't say, well, I feel this, so it's true and we're going to do it. They're advisors. It's like your hand and your foot. They're your servants. Your hand's really good at writing and your foot's really good at walking. But don't let your hands try and take you someplace and don't let your feet try and do your writing. They're servants. And in our world, we have made servants the masters. We have made what we think, our reason, our intellect, or what we feel, our emotions, our sensations, we have made those our masters and said, well, I think it's so it's true. I feel it so it's true. I just have to do this. Wow, this is a case where you should listen to the wisdom of the ancients. Again, this isn't just the Bible. This is the whole ancient world. You are not just what you think and you are not just what you feel. Those are parts of you but they're just your servants. They give you information. They advise you. You decide. You decide where your brain should apply and where it shouldn't, where your thoughts should apply and where they shouldn't, where your circumstances should matter, where counsel from other people. You decide that. Just because you think it doesn't make it true, just because you feel it doesn't make it true. You must decide. Okay, back into our regularly scheduled sermon. Peter says, all of you be like-minded. And again, it's not your mind. He's not saying think together. And he's not saying feel together. He's saying you should all have, he literally says, you should all have the same frame. At the center of our being, the core, the, the deepest part of who we are, not just what we think, not just what we feel, not what's going on around us, not our family, none of those things. In our frame, the center of our beings, it should be the same for all of us. Okay, he doesn't tell you what that is here, but he does other places, and it's all over the scripture. It will probably not surprise you if I tell you that's Jesus. Jesus is supposed to be the center of our being. In, in the deepest center of our identity, where we are us, an individual, where we decide, where we have agency, where we take action, what should be there is Jesus is 
Lord. That's what sits at the core of any follower of Christ, or at least it should. That's what, I mean, that's why Peter has to command it, I assume. It doesn't always. The center of our being easily slips to be other things. But Peter starts out here and says, finally, all of you have the same frame, have the same purpose, have the same center. The, the thing that matters most. What are, what, if you're a follower of Christ, what is your fundamental bedrock purpose in life? It's to be like your master. To obey your master. To conform your will to his will. That's what's supposed to be happening, Peter says, in our frame. But seriously, ask yourself, <laughs> like, what's at the center of your being? What's the most important thing? What is it that's down there that's really making decisions? What is it in the core of your being that is really how you make decisions, how you take what you think and what you feel and your circumstances and your background and the counsel you get from outsiders and, and all of that. Is it Jesus is Lord? Because Peter says, wow, that's what it should be. Think about a football team. Get 11 guys go out there. They are not the same. <laughs> they don't look the same. They're not the same ethnic group. They're not the same economically. Heck, they might not even all speak the same language. They come from very different backgrounds. Why do 11 guys, who, I mean, some of them probably didn't even ask to be there. They just got picked. Why do they all go out and work together? Wow, I mean, like, really work together to put a ball of leather into an end zone, past the line frame. All those guys have the same frame win this game. They all have the same Lord, the coach. What would happen if the quarterback went out and said, I'm not throwing the ball to him. He's a Democrat. <laughs> what would happen if the Republican, if the, the linebacker said, I'm not blocking for that guy. He's rich. What would happen if somebody came out and said, I'm not thrown to that guy. He's Hispanic. They can't catch the ball. Those guys would be gone. They would be gone in a day. Why? They don't share the frame. There is one purpose for those guys when they go out on that field, and that is to win a football game. And there is one Lord, and that's the coach, and he decides. And I don't care if you are the greatest running back in the history of the world. If the coach says, you block, so the quarterback throws, and you go out there and go, I'm not blocking for that guy. Wow, you are gone. These guys are 25. They're not even fully baked emotionally or intellectually yet. There's not a 30-year-old to be seen. How? Do 25-year-old guys get out there and do what, brothers and sisters, we are really struggling to do? Have the same purpose in life. Would anybody today, I mean, is there anyone you could ask on this planet who is not a follower of Christ who would say, oh yeah, those Christians, wow, I mean, 
They're so different, and yet they're all committed to the same thing. They're all so committed to following Jesus as Lord. That's the first thing Peter tells them. All of you have the same frame, the same center at the core of your being is Jesus is Lord. And we all have the same purpose, and that is to follow him, to obey him, to magnify and to glorify him. But again, on the football team, everybody's doing something different. Oh my gosh, if everybody blocks, nothing happens. And if nobody blocks, it's even worse. Everyone is doing their job. And all those jobs look different. Every single person on that team is doing something different because that's what they were told to do. Hey, on this play, you go from here to here. You do this. You block this guy. You run here. You come around. Everyone's got a different job, but it all comes from the same Lord, and it all serves the same purpose. They don't look alike. They don't think alike. I'm pretty much in guarantee that they don't vote alike. They have wildly different economic circumstances. Some of them spend their money like water and are dirt poor all the time, and some of them are bazillionaires. They're wildly different, but they all have the same frame. The church Peter is talking to is made up of Jews and Greeks. The Jews call the non-Jews the goyim. Literally, it means the nations. Wow. <laughs> it means a lot worse than that normally. I was at Crema, which is run by Israelis, so they're Jewish. A couple of us, there were three of us, we were sitting there talking about the Sabbath how the Christians take Sunday and they take Saturday. And one of these folks is very observant and she keeps the Sabbath and the other one isn't. And we're just talking about all these differences. And the one who's very observant is saying how annoying it is, you know, that on a Saturday I can't go open my oven kind of thing. And I jokingly said to her, hey, no worries, I'm a goy. I'll come open your oven for you. And they both visibly blanched. Eyes went wide, Right? And my friend, the owner, like very softly and politely said to me, Jeff, we don't say that ever. We would never call you that. The Jews in this place, oh, that's absolutely what they call the non-Jews. The polite, the polite slang term is dog. They're not even human. They're dogs. And the Greeks feel the same way about the Jews. The Greeks feel the same way about everybody who's not a Greek. The Greek call non-Greeks barbarians. Literally, barbaroi. Because they say anytime anyone who's not a Greek opens their mouth, all that comes out is bar, 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 bar. Dogs go woof, woof. Cats go meow, meow. Non-Greeks go bar, bar, bar. They're not even people. They're not even human. Those two groups who wouldn't be caught dead. They, they wouldn't be in the same house. They wouldn't eat at the same restaurant. They wouldn't frequent the same businesses. Those two groups of people are sitting together in a congregation, listening to someone read this letter from Peter. These guys who would never be caught dead with each other. Now they're worshiping together. They're eating together. They're giving their daughters and sons to each other to marry. They're arranging marriages. Because all that other stuff is trash. What matters is Jesus is Lord. And they are suffering for it. They are being persecuted for it. But at the center 
of their being is that affirmation. Jesus is Lord. And so all together, we will have the same frame. We will obey him. Okay, we're 20 minutes in. I've done the first word of the first verse. So let's pick up the pace a little bit, huh? Be sympathetic. Again, compound word. It literally is the word together and the word suffer. Suffer together. Interesting, that's exactly what it means in English. Sum, that's a Greek word that means together. Uh, Pathetic, pathos, suffering. It's the same word in Greek as it is in English. Suffer together. Some of y'all are like that works for you. Some of y'all are wired such that you move towards suffering. Others of you, and I will put myself in this group, wow, we do not move towards suffering. But it is commanded, brothers and sisters. And these people are suffering. This is not hypothetical. We know they are suffering. We know they are being persecuted for being Christians, for being unwilling to worship the pantheon of gods, for being unwilling to be good citizens, take the oath, offer the emperor a pinch of incense and worship. They refuse to do that. And they are suffering for it. And Peter says, y'all need to suffer together because there is some weird, weird math that goes on with suffering. You know, in physics, if you've got 100 pounds and I've got 100 pounds, we put them together and carry them, guess what? We're both still carrying 100 pounds. It's just there's 200 total and there's two of us. It doesn't work that way with suffering. If I have 100 pounds of suffering and you have 100 pounds of suffering and I take 10 of yours and you take 10 of mine, somehow we both end up with 70. It's, it's, like, it's like suffering is waves or something. You know, waves can come together and they can crash and go high. Wow, or waves can come together and flatten each other out. And somehow, God has worked it such that when we share in each other's sufferings, oh, we suck it down. I can't explain it. I don't know how it works. I think it's a God thing. But when we take each other's sufferings, when we stand with each other in suffering, oh, it just, it doesn't go away. The situation doesn't change. The loss is still loss and the tragedy is still tragedy. But there is something about standing with each other in suffering. And we are commanded to do it. Have the same frame. Suffer together. Third, love one another. This is the word Philadelphia. Just like the city. What does Philadelphia mean? The city. Brotherly love. Exactly. That's what it is. The the feel is from love and the adelphos is from sibling. Brother or sister. So it's, it's brotherly love. I could have done without this one, honestly. It's the only place I can find in the whole Bible where we are told to love each other with a word other than agape. Because agape is a choice. It's devotion. Love each other. I can choose. Peter here says, feel affection towards each other because you're family. And we all know what that means. Whether you like your family or not, whether you get along with them or not, we all understand there's something about family. That there, there's something that matters about family. And that's what Peter's saying to us. We need to have an affection for each other. Not just a, a devotion, although, again, out of a thousand, uh, 500 times or something the Bible says this, 499, it's agape. But not this one. This one is philia. Philos, friendship, affection. We should have affection for each other. 
because we are family, and we all know, wow, family, right? There are joys you can't get anywhere but family, and oh, there are sorrows you can't get anywhere but family. But that's who Scripture says that we are. These, these last two, suffer together, have affection for each other's family. Again, some of you move towards that. I will confess I don't. That, that, that I struggle with that. So I have been saying to God as I've been studying this week, okay, like, I, I, I want to be like this. I'm not like this. I know I'm not like this. But I want to be like this because you say it. If you're like me, let me encourage you to pray that as well. Because I'm not just going to be able to go out and turn these things on. But I can be willing. Me, my frame, I decide. <laughs> it's not just my emotions and it's not just my head. I decide. I want to be like this because God says he wants me to be like this. And so I'm saying to him, I want to be like this. But you're going to have to do it in me. If you're like me, if these, if these you're kind of like, wow, how do you do that? Be willing. Say to God, okay, I, I, I want to, you want me to be this kind of person, so I want to be this kind of person. Next, Peter says, be compassionate. Again, two words, the word for good <laughs> and the word for intestines. Emotions, feelings, good feelings. Have, have good feelings. One translation I read as I was looking through different ones translated this, be tenderhearted towards each other. I think that's kind of clever. You know, they took their, their body word, which is your gut, and they translated it into our body word, which is your heart. Be tenderhearted towards each other. Oh, it is so easy to get hard-hearted, isn't it? It is so easy to get offended. It is so easy to get upset. It is so easy to let all that is going on around us pull us apart. It is so easy to harden your heart. Oh, and it is so hard to make it tender. These are commands, brothers and sisters. They're not suggestions, and they're not good ideas. We are commanded by our Lord to be tender-hearted people. I think that means to give each other the benefit of the doubt to have good intentions, to assume good motives, however you want to look at tender-hearted. But wow, we all know <laughs> when we are hard-hearted towards someone. We may not be able to describe it, we may not want to admit it, but we all know when we're doing it. When we have hardened our heart against someone and the Lord says, no, not in my family. It is a command and then finally, the last one, be humble. And I, I got to give Peter props on this one. Um, it's the word for humble, the word for low, and the word frain. Like he started with have the same frain, and he ends with have a humble frain. And I really like that. It's like bookends on everything else. He, he's already told us that what we need, all of us together, need to have the same core of our being, that Jesus is our Lord. We have the same purpose. We want to please our Lord. We want to obey him. We're, we're, we may, we're going to think differently. We're going to look differently. We're going to act differently. We're going to care about different things. That's all fine. We have the same purpose. A, a lineman in football does not have to think that being a running back would be great. And a running back doesn't have to wish he was something else. Everybody has their place and their purpose under their Lord. Peter says... When you decide, because that's your frame, that's you, you decide. When you decide, when you have this purpose that I'm going to obey my Lord, I'm going to do what my Lord says, then the thing you should wrap that in is humility. 
The thing that we should have, when we are trying to, okay, who am I going to be? Me. Me as an individual. Me as someone who has agency, who takes actions, who makes decisions. What should inform those decisions? Because I want to follow my Lord. What's that going to look like? Peter says it's going to look like humility. Humility is what should mark us as followers of Christ. And again, brothers and sisters, randomly, randomly grab anyone off the street and ask them for adjectives. Is humble one of the top five that they give you for believers? And I'm not talking about crazy people who hate God. I mean your neighbors who like you, right? Is this what they would say about us? Oh, wow. When those people make decisions, oh, they're just steeped in humility. They're so concerned with humility. Now, Lewis has a great quote about humility. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. And that's an important distinction. We are to be people who just aren't as self-consumed as everyone around us. People who have more going on than just me, myself, I, what I think and what I feel and what I want in my life. And because you've realized that's where our world is rapidly going. We have deconstructed everything. We have torn everything down so that, you, you know, you, you, they do these surveys, right? What do people trust? Nobody trusts anything anymore. People don't even trust pastors. How did this happen? We don't trust the government. We don't trust religion. We don't trust anybody anymore. So it's just you. All you have to go on in your life now is you. And Peter says, wow, that's not what we're supposed to look like. We're supposed to be people who aren't thinking about ourselves all the time. Humility is supposed to mark us. Hey, one verse. We're on a roll. Verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Okay, I'm totally serious. Think in your mind of someone you've seen do this. They were treated evilly. They were insulted. They did not fight back. They did not insult back. They blessed. Not even they just kept their mouth shut, but they blessed the people who were harming them. Raise your hand if you can think of somebody that you've seen do that. Excellent. Excellent. I've had a week to do it. Now think of five more. Again, I've had a week to do it. This is a command. We're all supposed to do this. Folks, this is not the only place that says this. Believe me, I looked. It's in the law. It's in the prophets. It's in the gospels. It's in the epistles. It's everywhere in scripture. And someday, we are going to stand before God. And I can think of several cases where God has every right to say to me, what part of don't take revenge was unclear to you? What part of don't insult someone back who insults you did you not understand? Was that not simple enough for you, those couple words? Do not insult back. Wow. I can think of some places where God has every right to say to me, wow, you spent all this time studying Greek and Hebrew. Did you not get English? Don't fight back. 
because I'll do that. Don't take revenge, the scripture says over and over again, because the Lord says, I will take revenge, and I know what I'm doing, and you don't. I will bring about justice, because I understand justice, and you do not. Do not take revenge. It's scores of places in the scriptures. Why aren't all our hands going up? Oh, sure, I've seen that. Of course I've seen that. I hang out with Christians. I've seen that all the time. It's a command. But we don't do it. We just ignore it. Because I don't like it. And wow, I really don't like that I've been called to it. It is a command I have been called to it. And just in case, again, in case you think Peter's making this up, he quotes a psalm. He quotes something written a thousand years before he is writing. Three thousand years before I'm telling it to you right now. Whoever would love life and see good days. Is there anyone on the planet that doesn't want that? Is there anyone on the planet who does not want to have a life they love and to have good days? Peter says it's simple. First thing you got to do, wow, keep your mouth shut. Keep your tongue from speaking evil. Keep your lips from deceitful speech. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The word pursue in his language is the same word as persecute. To be persecuted is to be pursued. These people, they're being pursued. And Peter says to them, do not pursue back. Pursue peace. Just like those guys are coming hard after you, you go hard after peace. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But, oh, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Brothers and sisters, if you think, if I think, (laughs) that we are going to stand before God one day and say, yep, I hit him, but he hit me first. And the Lord's going to say to us, oh, I know. Don't you hate that? I'm amazed at your (laughs) self-restraint. Jesus has holes in his hands because I have struck back. That's what it cost for God to overlook the fact that I don't want to do this. He's still got him. He's got a hole in his side. Thomas stuck his hand there. Because we won't obey. Because we don't like it. Because if you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. And if you insult me, I'm going to insult you back. And I'm not going to put at the center of my being obedience to a man that could have called 40,000 angelic soldiers to save him and didn't say a word and let them kill him. Why would I follow someone who let people kill him? We sing a song at Easter. See the soldiers nail him down so that he can save them. The guy who made nails, metal, wood, everything, stretched out his arms and let people he made nail him to a piece of wood. So he would die. So every time I don't do this, God can overlook it. Every single that I won't obey then God can put that on Jesus and God can look at me and scripture says I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ 
It's as if I never did any of this. Because he did all of it. Brothers and sisters, these are commands. And wow, we don't look like this. I don't look like this. I don't think you looked like this by the number of hands that got raised. This is not what the church of Jesus Christ looks like. And we need to up our game. We need to start encouraging each other. When we come to each other with hardships, we need to share in that suffering and encourage each other not to strike back, not to repay evil for evil, not to repay insult for insult, not to do what is forbidden to us because at the center of our being, Jesus is Lord. And our Lord says, no, I will take care of that when the time is right. I will deal with that. We were robbed in Africa, gunpoint. Guys pistol whipped some people. They brought in some counselors, and that was good. I appreciated it. The most helpful thing for me was to go have a beer with a friend of mine who was also robbed, to sit in that cafe and to talk with each other and say, okay, there are two possible options at the end of time. One, the guys who did this to us will accept Jesus' offer just like we did. And we will meet with them in heaven. And we will laugh and we will cry that God was so gracious to utterly vile men like us. Two, they will not accept Jesus' offer. And what will happen to them is so horrific. The Bible does not even have words for it. It just has images. Images of fire. Images of complete and utter darkness. Images of screaming. Just nothing but screaming what will happen to them will be so horrific. Oh my gosh, I pray they say yes. These are commands. This is what God has called us to. And one day, he will see that justice is done. We do not need to take that on ourselves. And he will do it better than we will, And he will absolutely make sure it happens. But until that day, we keep our mouths shut. We don't strike back. We don't repay evil for evil. We share in each other's sufferings. We all have the same core at the center of our beings. Jesus is Lord. So I'm going to pray for us. Because, wow, i got to (laughs) change. Don't listen to this sermon. Okay, you've now heard it. You're accountable for it. I warned you at the beginning, right? I'm warning everyone on YouTube, don't listen to this because now you know. You can't say to God, what? I can't take revenge? That was in the Bible? I had no idea. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you have holes in your hands because of me. Because I won't stop doing these things. I won't stop repaying insult for insult. I refuse to share in sufferings. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for my brothers and sisters because I know they are doing it as well. Lord, forgive us. You have commanded us 
and we are not obeying. We say Jesus is Lord, but what I mean is when it's convenient. When it suits me. When you say things I like. I don't mean I'll obey you when it means I get hurt and I can't strike back. I don't mean I'll obey you when I have to be insulted and keep my mouth shut. When I have to do exactly what you warned us, take up my cross. And anybody carrying a cross is going to get crucified. That's what you said we had to do to be your followers. We had to take up our cross and go get crucified like you. And I don't want to crucify those parts of myself, Lord. I like them. I like my self-justification. I like my anger. I like my pride. I like my stubbornness. Jesus, forgive us. We have not lived as you have commanded. I've been working on this all week. And I can think of so few times when I obeyed this. And wow, I can think of so many when I didn't. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you knew this about us and saved us anyway. You knew that you would save me and I would disobey you over and over and over again. You you knew when you went to the cross all of my sin that you would have to deal with and you did it anyway, knowing that I would say thank you and then just go right on sinning and you would go right on forgiving. Thank you. Oh Lord, we want to change. Oh my gosh. I want to change, and I believe my brothers and sisters do too. We don't want to keep being these people who say, Lord, Lord, and then don't do what you say, because it's hard. Jesus, be gracious to us. Please, be merciful. Don't leave us here like this. Change us to be like you. That's what Paul told the Romans. It is predestined that we will be conformed to your image, Jesus. Please start now. Please start now. We don't want to be the same people tomorrow that we are today. A year from now, if I ask that same question, how many of you have seen someone do this? I want all of us to be able to raise our hands. We've all seen people live like this because it's obedience and you're our Lord. So we obey you. Lord, help us. Transform us. Make us new. That's what you said. You said you were making all things new. That's what John saw in Revelation. Behold, you make all things new. We need that, Lord. We need you to make us new. And so, we pray in your name. Amen.